All right, every human being um, at some point and pretty consistently has this thought in their life, um, if I just had this, fill in the blank, or if I just, uh, or if I could just blank, do something, then I'd finally be okay. Uh, we're always asking that, and from the smallest to the largest of things and meaning of life and all of that, but we're always, if I, we think and feel that, if I could just have this, I'll give you a couple of mine right now. If we could just get our attic straightened up and in order, I think our house would do a lot better because we could take things up there. Uh, I believe that will bring us peace and order in our home. <laughs> if Alabama could just win a basketball national championships right now, then maybe, um, maybe my uh, uh, joy would be really exciting. So and it, from day to day, oftentimes recently I had a big paper due with seminary and I thought if I could just get past that paper... Um, and I'm still going, <laughs> but issues are a question. Let me read this to you. Um, in an interview with 60 Minutes in 2005, uh, Tom Brady, supposedly the greatest quarterback, I can't believe I'm using Tom Brady as an example. Uh, he just said, preach it from the front row down here. Uh, in, a, in an interview in 60 Minutes in 2005, Tom Brady, who's an NFL quarterback, probably most would say is the greatest quarterback to ever play. How many Super Bowls did he win? Seven? Six? All right. So the greatest quarterback. Listen to an interview. He said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think, this, at this point he only has three, why do I have, I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it was all cracked up to be. When the enviewer asked him, so what's the answer? And Brady could, not, could only say, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Whether you know it or not, every day you wake up and face the world with a longing slash desire for meaningness, happiness, fulfillment, whatever you want, all three of those words in one. Every morning you wake up with, a, with a, a longing and desire for meaningless happiness, fulfillment that is so strong and so large and great that not Super Bowls under the sun can quench and satisfy. So that's Tom Brady's uh, Advice, I mean, let's just, just simmer that down just to life. I mean, right, I mean, sports, if that's a big part of your life right now, and you've got kids, which is oftentimes sports has been a big part of our family and our life. I mean, what he's saying, that drive and every day that you're pushing and the dreams that you have in sports, he's saying, I had the highest, in his particular sport, I had the highest and most accomplished dream you could ever uh, long for. You could argue that every high school football player and every high school coach is moving towards something like the Super Bowl. If they could have that, that would be what they want. He said, I had it. And said, this can't be, surely this can't be it. Every day we wake up and face the world with a longing or desire for meaning, happiness, and fullness that is so strong and so large that not Super Bowls under the sun can quench or satisfy it. So uh, Solomon or the teacher, some, some debate over who it is, either one here is seeking to answer that same question for us. 
And we get to a passage uh, in Ecclesiastes, this particular passage, where he tests all the Super Bowls, if you will, in life. And the many areas of pleasure that we find in life. So, and we'll see what he tells us about the test. So our, our breakdown will be, we'll look at the test, we'll look at his conclusion, and then we'll look at a solution. All right, the test, conclusion he made, and the solution. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, um, even as we come now, we come with this type of desire that is so strong in us. Um, and so I pray that, Lord, you would even now begin to feed your people. And um, would you comfort us? Would you take us to your word? Would you convict us? And Christ, would you be exalted uh, from the preaching of your word? And from, as we um, look at your word together, would you speak to our minds and our hearts and our hands? In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so first the test. And the test is really, uh, you'll see in verse, um, verses 1 and 9, but let me back up a little bit. Uh, here we are, we're in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, I think it is, or whatever, 9, 1 through 11, he uh, is the thesis, in a sense, of, uh, of the teacher, uh, or Solomon. I'll use those interchangeably, so it, either way, it, it, neither, it's, there's debate over which one it is. But whichever one I use, be okay with that, okay? And so, uh, but it's his thesis, and that he looks at life and the creation and, and says that uh, everything under the sun, everything you see under the sun is meaningless and uh, has no meaning at all. Then uh, right at the end of the chapter 1, he will use, he says, well, if, he, if I'm going to search for meaning, maybe he decides to use wisdom and that will help him find meaning. If I use wisdom in the, under the sun and in this world, then maybe where I'm living, wisdom would help me. And he uses it to hopefully find meaning. He concludes at the end of the chapter that, uh, that, that it's like a, trying to make a, a, a crooked strict stick straight. It can't be done. I encounter things that wisdom, as even though I use it, don't, doesn't help me. I can't control the seasons. I can't fix things. Things happen in our life that I, I just, wisdom can't do it. Then he says, well, maybe I'll just get more wisdom. And he tries to get more wisdom, and he says, maybe that's what I need to figure out meaning in life. And he says, uh, as he comes up with more meaning, he, uh, he concludes, he's like, well, the more wisdom I got, the more sorrowful and grief I had because I became more aware of everything I could under the sun. So then he transitions to the third test, which is where we are right here. And it's a hedonistic test, a test of pleasure. And he says, well, I'll try pleasure and see if that can help me find meaning. So uh, you'll see there, um, he says, I said uh, in my heart, he's talking to himself. In a sense, we get to hear his conversation. He's thinking, he's processing, by the way. Um, it is good, that's a good lesson for Ecclesiastes, that's one of the purposes of the book, is that we need to pause and think about the meaning of life. Don't just get caught up, stick your head in the sand and avoid thinking about life. He's contemplating it, and he's contemplating it for us, by the way, and he's contemplating it anyway. So he says, I said in my heart, so then notice that he's saying, uh, in my heart, I'm using the SV here. And um, notice he says, I come, I've said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. So he says, I'm going to test my heart and see what it tells me about pleasure. Not that I'm just going to just go experience pleasure. I'm going to actually test my heart. Now notice what he says there. I kept my heart, in verse 9, from no pleasure, from my heart found pleasure in all my toil. He's saying, I didn't keep my heart from anything. Here's the test. I'm going to test my heart to the pleasures of this world under the sun, and I'm not going to hold back at anything. If I see it, I'm going to go after it. And I have that he actually has the means to do it. And I'm not going to hold it back at all. 
and he's going to test his heart. What do you mean? What does it mean to test your heart? So, you know, you've heard me talk about an infamous golf trip I take every year that I've used it multiple instruments. I'll be taking it in the fall, and I love to go. But here would be the question. Testing that golf trip, which I really enjoyed to my heart, would be to come back and say, it wouldn't be to ask the question, did you have fun? Yes, I had fun on my trip. Yes, it went well. I enjoyed my friends. How is your heart and fulfillment forever right now? Well, I'm already facing work on Monday, and I'm coming back, right? It, that's the question he's asking. Did it fix the purpose and feeling and all the deepest longings that you have. Not did you have fun. That's what he means. I'm going to test my heart and see if my soul, my fulfillment is there. And so then what does he do to the test? And you'll see here verses two through eight. I'm not going to go through two through eight, but here's the categories. I broke them out, the categories. Here's all the areas in life. I think there's nine up here. And this is from the whole spectrum, from art to comedy and laughing, all the pleasures that you could have from success and building. You see them there, jokes, laughing, alcohol, art, nature, money, possessions, music, sex, affirmation, work, all those there. He tried it. And then he said, I went all the way. He had the resources, and in every one of these areas, I tried them. I didn't just dabble my foot. He said, he looked at it with his eyes and didn't just stick his toe in the water. He fully drank. He immersed himself as fully and far as he could with all the resources that he had. So that's the test. He tested his heart according to the pleasures of this world. All right. Well, what was his conclusion? Um, Look at verse 11. His conclusion was this. He got to the end and he considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it. So the, the toil of pursuing all these things, because even to enjoy something takes some pursuit, right? And so the toil of going after it and to, and to a great extent. So he says, and his conclusion was this, and was vanity uh, in doing it. And behold, he pauses and says, here it is. The test showed this. All was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So that key word there is, um, is gained, which is, is the word, a key word in, in Ecclesiastes, where it means it will be like you're, to be all satisfying, to be my hope and my identity, to be everything. Don't, he said there was nothing to bring all the fulfillment, the gain that I wanted in life was not found in all these pleasures, in all these areas. Um, same testimony is Tom Brady, except he went to the Super Bowl of arts and work and status. Anything you could think of, he was able to have it all. His conclusion was, it doesn't work. It doesn't fulfill. I know that seems simple. It's really hard to believe. It's really hard to live here on this earth and not believe that a lot of these things out here, if I really had the full measure and extent of all of them, that would finally be okay. Right? We even joke. We even say... I know money can't satisfy, but man, it sure would, oh, but it'd be fun to have a little bit more. I mean, right? I mean, because we can't just land there. Because it just echoes in our heart. 
that maybe it might work. I think that's a hard conclusion. Now, although it seems obvious, and he's telling us, and he did it all, it's still difficult to believe. So, so what was the solution? Well, we didn't read the passage, but later in the chapter, at the end of the chapter, he kind of comes to the solution. Where he, where he, here's the solution. He says, if you can try everything, and, uh, and there's no gain, he's like, here's what I conclude. Here's my solution to that. Here's what I think you should do. And look at verse 24. Some of this. He says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, the toil there is the toil of going after uh, all the things that we go after. Uh, enjoy something of the, of the idea of striving. Now, just before this, he talked a little bit more extensively about work. Uh, but he's like, there's nothing more but to enjoy, eat, should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Uh, this also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or, or even... Uh, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But the sinner, he's given business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and is striving after the sun. So here's his first solution after he saw his conclusion from his test. The first one is in verse 24. Is to enjoy the gifts of God. If there's a big motto in, in Ecclesiastes, it's a gift, not gain. Enjoy the gifts, it's not gain. Everything that God is given, don't look for it to be the ultimate to you, but enjoy it as a gift. And so eating and drinking and enjoying is toil. Now it seems odd because uh, in one sense, I think if you if you try all those things to the nth degree, like he did, with no resources, you would conclude, okay, well, it must be run away from those things. Those things could be no good, right? You would think, abstain from all those things. Stay away, which is usually what the church tries to tell us. So at least me growing up around it in the South says to run away from all those things. They're bad. Just go pray and have Bible studies, which aren't bad. But you see what I'm saying? It's like it's to run away from them as if they're it. But, but that's the opposite. He says, actually, enjoy and eat. Enjoy and eat the gifts that, you're, that they've given him because they were given from God. Look also, it's from the hand of God. This is probably the, the hardest thing for us to do, I feel it, is to properly relate to the gifts of God and not look to them for gain. That's where he lands. He doesn't say not use them, not enjoy. He doesn't say run away from them. He actually says enjoy them as if they're from the hand of God. Um, recently, I do a study in, a, in the community with Jamie and I do, and we're in Genesis, and we asked the question this week, have you grown up, what is your view of uh, Christianity, if you're honest, and what have you heard, or what have you concluded, or what is the natural thing that you feel about Christianity? And here's what I, I said, is it that... Would you say that you conclude that Christianity is a, is a religion about a lot of no's from God? It's just a lot of no's. What you can't do, what you can't do, what you can't do. And to the man in the room, yes. If we were honest. And I grew up, I, I still struggle to think that. That what it means to walk with God is to just learn to say no to a lot of things. And so, but that's not what, what, the, what the teacher tells us. He says, to enjoy them. He turns toward them. It's just how you relate to the things that God gave you. And don't look to them for gain. Look here in Genesis from the beginning. This is where we were in our study. It says, 
Uh, but we don't believe they're gifts. We, we think um, God, um, it's hard for us to believe that God is a God of a lot of yeses. Even in the creation story, it was lots and lots of yeses. It just one no, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And even that withholding was to protect us because we couldn't handle it. But the creation and the relationship with man was just lots of yeses. Look here in Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 8, 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground of the Lord God made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Do you see that? Like it was good food. Like there's a reason God made taste buds. Because barbecue is good and he wants you to enjoy it. And it was that he, that he designed that, that, that their eyes, there would be beauty to it. And they would look at the garden where they were dwelling with it, and they'd go, this is amazing. I enjoy it. But then here's the other part. So the solution is to enjoy God's gifts, but don't look to them from, for gain. Just enjoy them as gifts. But then notice verse 25. For apart from him, who can eat or drink and have enjoyment? Not only do we enjoy the gift, but the point is to enjoy it with him. With him with you in the garden of life. Notice even our Genesis passage there, God planted them in a garden to be with him, and there he had the gifts. And when you take God out, then it's just the gift that you want. But the point is to enjoy the gift with the one who gives it. You can't properly enjoy them without him. Because they come from his hands is what the passage says. In his test, I counted this week. There's 18 in the, from 6, from verses 2 through 8. He says, I, 18 times. He says, my or myself, 15 times. And me, 3 When he did this test, it wasn't what our Westminster Confession says, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What he said is, is that I'm going to glorify me and enjoy me forever. I'm going to do everything just for me. And put all his hopes in himself and factor God out. But the point, what I think the teacher tries to say, it's interesting to me, he He'll stay in this phase where he's really describing uh, life as he's seeing it in these tests and under the sun is the phrase he keeps using. But he can't stay there long because he has to break out and says, I concluded that everything is to eat and drink. He does this all four more times, five more times. We looked at it last week with death. He'll say to eat and drink and enjoy the gifts. And, um, but the gifts are meant to be enjoyed in the presence of the one who gives them. I, uh, when I was a child, uh, and it was interesting, this week in our studies, people talked a lot about Christmas, so I thought I'd run with that, all right? So, but when I was a child, um, Christmas morning was a big deal, and, you know, to come see your presents, and uh, my parents did a great job of trying to make you have a display where you walked in and everything was put together for you. I think my dad complained, you know, he was like, let's just put it in the box, we can put it together tomorrow, you know, but it, my mom, it made it, it had to be just a, a great display. Way to go, moms. Yep, it was way better. All right, and so, um, but even so with my brother, I can remember being, probably waking up at three or four in the morning, so excited, so nervous. We would like get a plan and walk in backwards 
you know, like, okay, let's check the stockings first, <laughs> and then we'll take that, and they would turn around and go, whoa, the gifts, and just enjoy them. Now, I don't remember, I do remember some of the gifts that I were given, they were big and small, but that was, that was when I was a child, but as I've gotten older, I've started to relate to gifts a lot better. Just last week, y'all didn't know, some of you knew it, my father reached out to me and my brother earlier in the month and said, I'd love to take the three of us to the uh, SEC basketball tournament in Nashville. Would you guys meet me there? I was like, sure. What a great gift. (laughs) We had a blast. My team won. We ate barbecue. We did a lot of fun things. I was with my brother. don't get to see him much. Madison drove down. The tickets are so expensive, but we got, I mean, we got to do so much. It was an incredible gift, but you know what? If my dad hadn't been there, it just wouldn't have been that great. The best thing about the trip is that I got to spend time with my dad, who has cancer, and I don't know how long he has, and is fighting it. The gift was better when I enjoyed it with the giver. And you know what? He actually had a blast, too, because I could tell he loved seeing us laugh. He loved seeing us cheer. He loved us enjoying the gift that he gave us. And I could, I could feel him watching us and talking to us, uh, and that he had fun doing that. You know, and he's so thoughtful. He didn't uh, invite me to go watch curling. He knew what I enjoyed, what sports. He knew I liked sports. <laughs> Curling's a sport. He didn't, he didn't ask me, Shane, let's go to a ballet. That's probably not what I would have wanted to go to. As the giver, he knew what I enjoyed. And he knew what team I cheered for and what. And he wanted to give to me. And the gift was the best because the giver was with me. That's kind of the point of life. I think that's where Ecclesiastes lands. That God, if you only think about the gifts in and of themselves, then they'll never deliver. But if it's just like a Christmas morning or a kid who just opens them and it's over by the afternoon because you've done them all. But if you learn to enjoy the gifts in relation to the giver, then they become greater in their meaning. And you should. You should enjoy them. You and I need to learn to enjoy the small things in creation and all that God has given us in the moment by moment and enjoy them from the giver. So I um, it's the gift, maybe to summarize it this way, enjoy the gift, not the gain. Treat it as a gift, not as a gain for your life. Don't look to it for meaning. And the giver, not the gift, or the giver with the gift. That's kind of the thought here. And so um, uh, to take it even a um, why, why is it, why is that the command? Now Ecclesiastes doesn't really tell you necessarily the why. It just tells you to do that, <laughs> in a sense. It's like, enjoy the gift, eat and drink and do that, and enjoy it for the ones whose hands it came from. But now we have the fuller revelation. And we actually know even more now than they knew then of why that's the best thing for us. Because every small gift is really a taste of the greatest gift, which is God himself. 
And without him being present, it just doesn't, it, the taste is lost. We don't. And actually, the taste does go away. Actually, we do taste good things, and that's vanity too. It seems to go away. But if the giver is in the room, and if the giver is with us, then when we taste it, we're mindful of the ultimate taste we have in Christ. Jesus did that, and he, he, um, he said that in John 6, which was in our passages this week. And um, he was trying to express that very thing to his people. In verse chapter 6, 32, he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from the heaven. For the bread of God, he is who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, then give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He's saying, I'm the real bread. So I am actually, I'm the taste of the thing I give to you. Why it tastes good is because it points to me. And it'll never quench you. It points to me, the one who can quench your desires, the one who does it. So these gifts that God gives us, they have some medicinal properties to them, right? There's a little bit of enjoyment. They have medicinal properties, but they're not the cure. They're appetizers, right? That's a better way to think about it. They're, they're appetizers. And you, you ever ruined a meal by eating the appetizers? If you go to Malone's and eat too big of appetizers, you forget the steak, right? Don't do that. Don't settle for the appetizers. Wait for the main course. Eat just enough and enjoy it until the main course comes. And the main course, day by day, is not one who's only coming. He's actually saying, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. You can feed upon me daily and come to me. When Jesus says he's the bread of life, what an incredible thing to say. What he's saying is, when he says to us, it tells us something about him. It says that he's, first of all, he says, I am. He says, I'm God. And so I... You, he, he, uh, you have a God-like desire. Remember, we say we wake up every morning and it's too large that Super Bowls can't fill us? Well, he's saying, I am the I am. I am everything. I am the thing that the Super Bowl points to. And he says, I'm the bread of life. What a thoughtful thing. He's saying, I know you have great desires and longings. And I know that the only, they're so big, and the only, your longings are so big that I'm the only one who can satisfy them. Have you ever thought about that? That our longings every day that we wake up with are so big and so strong that only the creator, creator, sustainer of life and death, and the, of the cosmos and all creation is the only one, him and him alone, can quench that desire. What a desire to have to handle every day. And so he gives us gifts. They're medicinal a little bit, but they point to the cure. He says, I'm the bread of life. Moses gave you bread in the, in the, to feed you each day by day, but I'm the real bread, the fullness. That bread ruined, I will never Ruined. So how do you feed on Jesus? I think that's the million-dollar question. I could have ended right there. I just don't want to. I could just say, okay, Jesus is the bread of life. But I don't think we always know, how do I feed on him? Okay, if he's the place I ought to go and these things are gifts, but what, how do you feed on him? How do, you actually, how do I actually take him in to me in a way that my soul is actually fulfilled? And I could answer the question that Tom Brady asked. How do I actually do that? I believe you that you're saying that's where it's found and he is the meal, but how do I eat that meal? Does that make sense? Two small things. First, how do you feed on Jesus as the bread of life? Is to enjoy the gifts and be mindful of the giver. 
That's one way. Okay? So every time, so ha- go enjoy the things that you have, the small things. Because there's going to be a lot of things that are terrible. And life is hard. And that's why we have the lamenting in, in the passages. Jesus is aware of our troubled lives, our persecutions, but he also gives us gifts. Enjoy them. And as you enjoy them, be mindful of this is a Super Bowl, and that's a lot of fun, but it, it pales in comparison to the victory I have in Christ. Right? And enjoy those momentary things. I enjoy my time with my friends on a golf trip. And I enjoy his creation and playing outside. I enjoy competing. But those are just a taste of the one who gives those gifts and designed them that I have a relationship with. Just always be thinking that way. That's one way to feed on it. That makes you go to him. The other way, as I really do think, is the means of grace. Enjoying the gifts and the means of grace. So that's the Bible, the word, prayer, fellowship. What I mean by that is the means of grace is the way to say, how does God's grace and relationship flow? What are we, what's between us and him? It's the Bible and prayer and evangelism and fellowship and the sacraments. He's created this highway, if you will, our conveyor belt, that, that through our connection with him that feeds our soul, he's created this pathway to go between the means of grace. That's what we do. When we read the Bible, it's to connect to God, not just to read the Bible. And here's what I want to warn us against, okay? I did, this is the last thing. <laughs> here's my art. <laughs> All right. You see the means of grace here? I listed some of them. You may not can read them. I have word, prayer, fellowship. That's a, that's a means of grace to be with God's people. Evangelism is a means of grace. You can experience God in evangelism. His faith, your fear, how he meets you, him saving people. It's a way grace in our connection with him. Some of the greatest worshiping in the New Testament was when the disciples were being persecuted for proclaiming the gospel. Actually, the ground shook. They were experiencing and feeding on Christ in evangelism and persecution. I think the problem is, over the years, I've realized that um, John 5.39 says, you search pertaining to the word. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he says, I tell you, they bear witness to me. That, that passage has a lot. But here's what he's saying. What Christians often do, and we don't know how to feed on Christ, is that we think that, okay, I just need to go execute all six, five of these I have here as much as I can. And read the Bible, pray, and we just get consumed with the means of grace. Now, I'm God. Not really. But I'm God in this illustration. And what Christians do, I think, is that they oftentimes think about all the things they're supposed to be doing, the means of grace. And they just do and do, and they study the Bible, and they have fellowship, and they lose sight of that the Bible is actually a means to a person. It's a way that I connect to God. Big difference. Prayer is not about what we accomplish. It's connecting with God. And in a weird way, we kind of take the gifts of the means of grace and we latch onto the gifts and forget the giver that they actually connect us to. So if you want to know how to feed, Kevin will train you in all those areas. But that's the point. Enjoy his gifts and be mindful while he's in the room and use the means of grace to go to the bread. And it's there that we believe and feed and learn about him. And there 
all the work of him, all the person of Jesus is experienced through those means. Let's pray. God, as we close uh, and sing here um, this morning, would you, would, you, um, would you please help us to learn how to relate to your gifts appropriately? And would you please help us to enjoy them Would you also please help us to not look to them for our gain? And then, Jesus, would you also draw us close and teach us to feed upon you? God, forgive us that we're a a people and we so, we so, um, we so quickly forget how good of um, these truths. I'll have a hard time believing it when I leave here right after church. So would you guide us? Would you show yourself? Would you help us? Would we begin to taste of you in a way that we'd be more convinced that you're better than the gifts? That we'd be more convinced that you. Would you, would you use all the means? Thank you for all the means of grace you've given us, the sacraments and the word and prayer and even the body of Christ. That as we come together, that we should... We should feed on you together. We should point each other to you. That's the point. We don't just come to be together. We come to point each other to you as well. So, glory to you. You're the best gift. Amen.